0: Welcome to the AJP podcast, a podcast for pharmacists by pharmacists, where we discuss current events, relevant topics and emerging issues. I'm your host, Carly McMoore, and together with the AJP, I'm bringing you the opinions and expertise of different pharmacists to discuss their views and insights on topics relevant to pharmacists. Please like and rate each episode and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. I'd like to thank Andrew McLaughlin and Rebecca Moles for sharing their insights regarding a recent experience with a student and how important mental health first aid is, as well as how the university coped with lockdowns and changes that have been made as a result of COVID.
1: Okay, so hi, I'm Associate Professor Rebecca Moles. Um, I'm a pharmacist and been an academic here at the University of Sydney for I think about 23 years. Uh,
2: G'day, Andrew McLaughlin on the... Professor of Pharmacy but also Head of School and Dean in the Sydney Pharmacy School Uh, and my dad says to me what are you going to do when you leave University and I say retire. (laughs) So I've been at the University for quite a while worked in uh, different academic roles also being based out of uh, hospital as well. Yeah. So Rebecca, I might ask you
3: about your views about the discussions about the PharmD course.
1: Yeah, so I'm super excited about uh, having a PharmD in the future. Um, I think it, every all the stars are starting to align now where the profession is, I think, getting ready to have this higher level of graduate to be, and, you know, pharmacy has really got this groundswell of taking on more and more professional service-focused roles. Um, and so I see that... You know, in the not-too-distant future, I really hope that universities are producing PharmD graduates. Obviously, our colleagues in the US have been doing it for a while. I do hope that our Australian PharmD, to some extent, perhaps is even better than the model in the US, that it's actually at a higher level, not necessarily just that's the, the only pathway for pharmacists, but, you know, time will tell.
2: It is an exciting time with a range of pharmacy degree offerings. So across the country, we've got Bachelor of Pharmacy uh, joint degrees and also Graduate Entry Master of Pharmacy degrees for registration. The extended master's that could be called a Doctor of Pharmacy, PharmD, is a really exciting development because I think it does take our pharmacy training into the next level. And it does mean that we'll have really those leaders in the future that will be crafting those next opportunities. Uh, Here at the Sydney Pharmacy School next year, we do start our vertically integrated pharmacy program, which is a Bachelor of Pharmacy Honours with a Master of Pharmacy Practice, really starting to bring in that intern training year into a more integrated master's level qualification. And the main motivation there really is to provide a really high level consistent uh, intern experience in that very formative uh, early part of their a pharmacist's career to give him a fantastic platform. So, of course, in the future, the opportunity to have an extended master's with, um, you know, really important high-level skill development, which we would call a doctor of pharmacy, you know, it's a brilliant opportunity for our profession in the future. Um, I can start with
3: you again, um, just to ask about pharmacy practice moving forward, because I used to ask the question prior to COVID, um, and a lot has changed. So how do you envision both the course and what pharmacists might look like in the next few
1: years? I think pharmacists are you know, are really being recognised now within the community. We've always been a pillar of community, highly trusted professionals, but COVID really demonstrated how much we were needed. We were some of the only professionals with our doors open during the pandemic and um, the way our profession pivoted to start jabbing people on a day like thousands and thousands of people on a daily basis um, just showed how quickly we were able to put all of our training and skills into practice, and how relied upon we were. Um, and I just see that that's only going to expand. So, vaccinations is one thing, but so many more services that we can provide, and in different settings as well. It doesn't just have to be in the four walls of the community pharmacy practice. So, we will be seeing pharmacists embedded into every GP clinic in the future. They're, that's slowly rolling out, and they're in a few, but there'll be a time where you won't be able to go to the GP without a pharmacist actually being there. Not that every patient will need their medicines reviewed every GP visit, but they'll always be there, I think. Um, Their role in aged care facilities is just on that beginning of breaking the wave and we'll see very soon that we'll have pharmacists embedded into all aged care facilities. So anywhere that there are medicines or the potential for medicines use, we will see a pharmacist. And I think um, pharmacy practice is in a fantastic position to just be ready to pick up all of those new services. We were already doing them, but now there's this groundswell and we'll see our roles expand.
2: And I think there's two really important points about pharmacy practice into the future, and maybe our role as a university in teaching that generation so we want to make sure we're preparing those graduates who can take up those roles, have the skills to move into them, uh, and to become leaders in the profession and, and expanding that scope. But also, um, I'm really proud of some of the research we do here in the Sydney Pharmacy School, which is really trying to uh, map out those uh, new roles that pharmacists might have to demonstrate the not only the clinical benefit, but perhaps also the value, um, the economic value of those, uh, and um, in the recent rounds of the Medical Research Future Funding, last year particularly, we were quite successful. And here uh, was the recipient of one of those grants. But quite a number of our staff are involved in these transformational projects, which are really trying to look at uh, what is the role of pharmacy-led interventions to improve quality use of medicines and safety, really pharmacy practice. Uh, and, you know, do they work, but also are they worth it? So then when we have that evidence and information about the value of those interventions, we can move to the very important next step, which is pharmacists being remunerated for these roles outside of simply supplying a medicine. So driving that research agenda is something I think we, as universities, all universities really have a important responsibility to do to shape that pharmacy practice in the future. Thank you. Um, so I
3: thought I'd find out about your views on pharmacists' prescribing
2: and vaccinations, including students with the vaccinations. So maybe I'll start with the last part there. Um, Vaccination's been an important part of the training that most pharmacy programs across the country offer, and we've been offering it now for some years. So all of our students come out um, vaccination ready, uh, and they're actively taking part in vaccination programs also during covid One of the exciting things that did happen during COVID, and there were many changes that pharmacists were actively involved in, but we were able to deploy and release a lot of our students to be actively involved in the vaccination hubs around Sydney. So this has been an incredible uh, experience for those students to be involved in the public health response to COVID, to understand about the multidisciplinary environment of those hubs in delivering um, these life-saving vaccines to the community. So A brilliant opportunity for a pharmacy student to be right at the front door, at the forefront really of delivering those programs. But uh, the other thing we do as a school is to provide uh, flu vaccination to other students. So this year um, our staff trained, um, so all of our pharmacy students get vaccination training, but also a cohort were trained from uh, medicine, nursing and pharmacy to then vaccinate other students. So we had a student-led student vaccination clinic for influenza so we're really proud that this year they vaccinated 670 other students before they went on their placement so they needed to have vaccination so a great example of where the students are using their training and skills to really help the health system and take the burden off the health system of course uh, around uh, the need for vaccination once they're out there doing placements so i think we'll see more of these type of services into the future where, um, our students are taking on sort of key roles uh, around that. Um, do you want to mention prescribing and sure. your take on that?
1: So I think um, pharmacist prescribing is, again, another exciting opportunity for our profession. Um, interesting, I was having discussion with colleagues from the UK just last week, and everybody who will graduate from a UK um, B farm M farm yep. equivalent degree will actually come out as a prescriber. So I think we often think that prescribing is sort of this pinnacle and this be all and end all of mm-hmm. of our sort of clinical skills, putting it all together. And I'm not saying that it's a simple skill at all. Um, but I think pharmacists again have got the majority of the competencies in order to prescribe already and it's about this additional stuff around, uh, I guess, um, more of the monitoring, the checking that perhaps we haven't done as much of in the past. So it's about, you know, reviewing the patient head to toe, even some of that physical examination that may need to be included, but really we've got most of it. So I think prescribing is, again, something that we'll see if legislation changes, but I don't see from an from an educator's perspective i don't see it being a massive shift to turn what we're already teaching our students and again at this higher level i'm not talking about first year students mm. i'm talking about these fifth year students that we're going to produce i don't and perhaps even in that extended masters pharmd i don't see it as a massive shift to be able to get our pharmacists to be prescribing
2: and I think the evidence from the Queensland trials, which really have demonstrated the value of uh, pharmacists being involved in, uh, in that particular project around the prescribing of um, protocol-based um, provision of antibiotics for people you know, who meet particular criteria using really the same principles that a, a, a GP would use, um, but providing timely access. Now, I don't ever see pharmacists replacing general practitioners to provide a timely access to needed medicines, and particularly in some of those communities where it might be difficult to access uh, medicines in a timely manner for acute uh, time-limited health problems. becomes a fantastic opportunity to support the community. I suppose this leads into a broader discussion around the role we see for our students and pharmacists in the future, um, having entrustable skills that we know that they're being credentialed to do and to deliver, and prescribing would be an example of that. Um, Beck, maybe you could mention some of the uh, roles that our students have uh, when they do a hospital placement around um, uh, being involved actively in patient care.
1: Yeah, so one of the entrustable professional activities, which is what we call it, that we train our students to be ready to provide, is to take a medication history Again, I don't think it's rocket science, no. but we certainly train our students to have those communication skills and to look for that extra detail in taking a history from a patient that perhaps some of our other colleagues sometimes miss. So asking those simple questions around patches, eye drops, creams, um, over-the-counter medicines, herbal products, things you buy from the supermarket that you might not think is a medicine but it is a medicine and it's about just that comprehensive training and we do it, I think, quite well within the classroom and then we assess them as, as authentically as we can with role plays, case studies, marking rubrics, etc. cetera, but we get them ready for real-world practice and then on their hospital placements now they are taking histories week in, week out for patients and really helping reduce again some of the load that, that the pharmacist has so they can concentrate on other uh, other activities that they're doing. And our our students are there as a, as a help and actually helping meet patient need and clinical need, which is really exciting and they love it.
2: And that transition um, was nicely described by one of our our colleagues at the hospital that Now, students used to be tourists by just simply observing, but of course now they're team members. And to get actively involved in patient care like that, in the same way I mentioned about being actively involved in um, preparation of vaccine doses as part of COVID, is a really great transformation for those students, has a big impact on them, uh, where they can really see their value and the impact of the work they can do, even at their level, with the right training and support. Um, But it's also something we're really proud of because, you know, for example, the first year we ran that program, there a 1,000 extra medication histories that were taken that probably wouldn't have been captured. And, of course, that means that problems have been identified and solved, and uh, that's improved the outcomes for those, those patients. So this is the type of partnership that we really love, uh, from our point of view, to work with the hospitals in providing a workforce um, that has mutual benefit, in a way. It helps the students learn, and, of course, it supports the work that pharmacists do, the great work pharmacists do in the hospital.
1: Um, And we know that our students are entrusted to do many activities in community pharmacy as well. So many of them work already, but even on their placements, the same thing, they're providing over-the-counter advice for Mm. patients, they're dispensing prescriptions accurately, they're providing counselling on that new prescription. So, you know, they've got many, many skills that are are Mm. contributing to patient care and to the workforce. And, again, as I said, they love it because that's the bit where they're like, I'm not just standing here watching, I'm doing and I'm enacting my future role. And, you know, it's really giving them that fantastic sense of being a pharmacist. Mm. So. One, but with, um, with the impacts of
3: COVID and on placements and obviously virtual studies and things like that, there's been a couple of years where your students have been impacted and even now um, with COVID cases rising, they have been impacted in, in their studies and their placements. So I thought I'd find out about how you've worked around that or how it's impacted the students.
1: Um, look, COVID was something that I think hit the world, even though it was predicted. <laughs> None of us expected it when it when it hit. And um, one thing I have to say is how proud I am of my of the staff here at Sydney Uni for being able to literally pivot overnight and turn classroom activities into Zoom classroom activities, where we still didn't lose the authenticity of role playing, going through cases, showing students products, devices, all of these things that obviously you want to do in a face-to-face way, but we were able to pivot so much of our teaching online in that Zoom platform. Thank goodness for Zoom. Mm. It was a word we didn't really know before COVID, but we learned it very, very quickly. Look, there's no doubt, though, however, so even though we did that and we maintained our teaching, there's no doubt that it did have some impacts. Lab skills, for example, going into the lab and making creams, all of those things we get our students to do, or pipetting or measuring, even in the chemistry lab, um, were impacted. But we didn't let that stop us. What we did was we waited till there was a lull, until it was safe to come back to uni, and we ran intensive labs. Yes, was it more work? Of course it was. Was it a hassle for students to like come in in their holidays to do these intensive labs? Yes, it, of course it was. COVID has impacted all of us, um, not all in a positive way, but some of the things we've learned from COVID, we've kept the way we run our oral exams now, where we give students cases to prepare before they come to the oral exam is something that I think you know, we looked again at the pedagogy and went, actually, that's a better way to learn. Instead of them just being tested on, well, they are still only tested on one, two or three cases, but they've learnt 36 of them um, to a much better depth than they would have just learnt those three in their prep time of an hour for that. So I think actually giving, there's some things we've learnt from COVID that we've gone, actually, that's a better way to do it. So there's been some efficiencies, I think, that have ended up being better for our students and our teaching.
2: Yeah, shout out to our staff who really were amazing to really start with the premise that we want these students to be able to graduate um, and move through their degree because we know that there'll be demand for a health workforce in the future and across our faculty actually of seven schools uh, and all the different health professions represented, there's was a really big commitment to say we've got to make sure we can keep teaching. Uh, we were lucky enough to have the support of the Australian Pharmacy Council to make changes to our program and to report them later. I think most of the accrediting bodies did that and universities really took on that challenge. Also, I'd really just have to acknowledge how well our students got on board with that Um These weren't necessarily um, easy learning environments, but they certainly took on that challenge. And I'd even hazard to say, I think some of our um, uh, marks actually increased because there were less distractions. Having said that, we're very well aware that our students, um, because pharmacies were open, were doing extra hours and they did form part of that surge workforce that was needed at times. So again, I think this generation of students have, you know, had their careers forged in a fairly tough furnace Uh, And they'll come out of it with skills they probably don't even realise they have yet. Um, And I think that's been an incredible learning opportunity. You know, I think the reassurance, though, is that we have not compromised one bit on the amount of teaching they've had, the programs they've had to complete, uh, including the practical classes in blocks to make sure that they have that skills, knowledge and attitude to become the pharmacist that they'll be. Uh, That's taken extra work, but it's been important to do that because of you know, what we see now in the community, the great recognition that uh, pharmacists have. That's hard-earned, and we'd like to make sure that it's maintained.
3: Um, so
2: I thought I'd find out about the mental health first aid. Sure. Um, maybe I'll start. Mental health first aid uh, training is a, really something, I think, as a head of school and dean, I'm incredibly proud that all of our students get mental health first aid training, and uh, the majority of staff, have had mental health first aid training. And it's a skill that you you use surprisingly more than you ever think you would. Uh, and I'd also think that uh, a number of our staff are trainers in that area. So not only are they great educators, they're credentialed trainers to train uh, students, but other healthcare professionals uh, in that area. And it, it becomes now what I think is a core skill within the, the toolkit that every pharmacist must have, um, I I know when I worked in pharmacy anything could come into the pharmacy on any day. Uh, how do you prepare for that? Well, you've got to you've got to have those skills. You just don't know when they'll be needed. Uh, and mental health first day training is one of those things that um, has certainly changed the way I think. Uh, as someone trained in that area, I had my training updated, uh, and we encourage everyone to to think about. But Beck, do you want to?
1: Yeah, I just want to also add that um, we've gone even above and beyond mental health first aid training. So there's, you know, let's just say the standard, which is a 12-hour course, typically done over a day and a half yeah. for our students, but we've actually added to that where there is also an authentic assessment of their mental health first aid skills in the classroom, and... Um, research led um we've uh, there's a team of us working together to develop these cases and in fact recently we co-designed cases with people with lived experience of schizophrenia and we wrote three new cases an example of one is where a patient is in the pharmacy and they're looking at their ear plugs because they want to drown out the sound Mm. of the voices and this came as a was co-designed with people who had that lived experience. And that has been role-played in the classroom after mental health first aid training with a trained actor, but as well as that a consumer educator, again, that person with the lived experience to provide that student on-the-spot feedback of how they handled that case study. And I think mental health first aid training is great. I advocate for everybody to go and get it. But to then put those skills into practice mm. in a safe environment like the classroom is also an excellent add-on so that when you have to do it in real life, you've even had that a little bit more practice in that classroom. And I think I'm, I'm super proud of the people leading that research because I just think it's it's an excellent add-on and I really feel quite confident that our students are leaving with even better skills than just MHFA training standard, it's also they've put it into practice. Thank
3: you. So those were the four
1: more questions. So now i
3: would i to ask you about a um, So um, I was going to ask about the student that was recently at university who was deported at very
2: short notice, and just for you to share some of the story. And I've heard a lot about your support. And, yeah, please. Maybe I'll open the batting. Um, So the University of Sydney, like most universities, we're really delighted to um, have international students who study with us here. And they're an important part of uh, every university, but they're really an important part of... Our pharmacy program, about 20-25% of our students come from overseas and they bring a wealth of uh, experience and insight, uh, both culturally, language. Um, But we also know that the training they receive here is something they take on um, here in Australia, but also back to their country where they're from and and start to change and shape that. So we feel the privilege to train people from around the world. Obviously, we, we dearly love training Australians as well. Uh, And, and of course, the many people from different cultures here in Australia. Um, We don't always know when we're in a student classroom, you know, where students come from. Everyone gets taught the same and has the same expectation of that training. Um, But I suppose uh, Armin was a very special student uh, that came to us um, at the University of Sydney. Um, His story is a really challenging one, which I'm going to ask Beck maybe just to provide a bit of backstory to.
1: Yeah, so Armin came to Australia by boat where he fled Iran and ended up in Indonesia is my understanding for a while and whilst waiting for you know paperwork to try and get to Australia it was just taking a very long time and uh, his family fled in you know to come to Australia on boat. Unfortunately they had no idea what was in store for them when they first arrived um, in this country which unfortunately for many years, was detention and being moved around and being in Nauru is my understanding. Um, and, you know, really fighting for their humanitarian rights, if, if you know, from my perspective at least. Um, Armin's mother actually fell unwell and they ended up in Adelaide. And at that time um, he was... I don't know if lucky is even the right word, but from his perspective, he says he was lucky um, to, to actually end up being given a place in a school in Australia and being able to actually study and do his HSC. And, in fact, he says to me that he was struggling at school at first. He didn't really know what he was going to do. He'd missed four years of school. You know, he was so behind And he's come from overseas and he's hit an Australian school in in South Australia, I think it was in South Australia anyway, and was just struggling and behind. But he met another refugee um, student who had actually, you know, was doing well, was really studying hard and he said, look, I've got the opportunity possibly to get a scholarship and go to university if I do well. And that was just a wake-up call for Armin and he just then went head down bum up and worked so hard and achieved fantastic things and then that's when we got to meet Armin because he was given a vice chancellor's scholarship to do pharmacy again from his perspective he wasn't given many many choices it was like you've done well great he's a, he's a scholarship you can do pharmacy lucky for us I think yeah but, um,
2: and we yeah. we know also that look he was he was provided with um offers at uh I think five different universities across New South Wales to pursue his studies. He's clearly a talented young man Uh, and certainly he threw himself into his pharmacy studies. Um, He was really maintaining a distinction average through our program and it's not an easy program to come into if English isn't your first language, if you've missed quite a lot of your schooling. But, you know, the um, dedication that he showed towards his study and the commitment was really uh, exceptional all the while of course he was the main correspondent for his family because of his command of English and caring for his parents as well as their health needs he would help navigate that so while really carrying substantial caring responsibilities he was also uh, studying but of course he was on a um, on a, um, a visa which meant a humanitarian. humanitarian visa which meant that at any time uh, he may be asked to leave the country according to the you know rules of that visa
1: yeah and I, my understanding is they were in community detention as well for you know at, so yes, they're at home, but they're still yeah. um in detention. I guess you know fast forward the story to earlier this year where amin has just finished his first semester of his third year studies. it's one of the most challenging hmm. years of the degree again distinctions which is just remarkable um but you know it's a few weeks before the exams are about to start and mm-hmm. i gets the phone call we've got a place for you it happens to be in the usa you're going to be deported in a month's time or six weeks time it might have been and that was just a bombshell i guess for him but also for us i think you know, we've got this student who we've now <laughs> put in a lot of uh, dedication and training, but he's done it all—not us. But yeah. you know, we're still—we've invested um, as we do in all our students, and we've got to like halfway through the third year of his studies, and he's only got eighteen months to go, and he's about to get on a plane and go to the US, and that would—you know—we I feel. We, we did as much as we could do. I think the university were looking into the case. We were trying to provide as much support as we can. The pharmacy profession was amazing yeah. at signing a petition and getting, you know, attention towards the government. But unfortunately, it, it, you know, didn't pan out that the family could stay and it was going to be a big ask, I guess, to make that happen.
2: Yeah, and I think um, what it reminded us that is that um, vulnerable. Um, refugees are very vulnerable um, they also bring a, a wealth of talent and experience and commitment and dedication to what they they do and Armin and, um, and was an incredible asset and would be wherever he lands and we're we're proud of what he was able to do here at the university in the two and a half years that we had him and he'll stay in touch with us over the this year while he completes um, uh, part of the degree remotely and the university is making plans to Provide some degree recognition for him to allow him to move into the the next phase of his career and life uh, in the US. I think the the generous support from colleagues across the pharmacy sector was something that really was delightful for us because we we certainly were an advocate for Armin, but it was brilliant to see others step up to that. And I think when the pharmacy family gathers around vulnerable people, it's at, at its best. Um, you know, the message for us is to be aware of the. Um, position that refugees find themselves in uh, we know we now know more too of pharmacists who are incredible advocates for refugees and all power to their hand I think they do a great job um, but to re- recognize of course that um, it's a vulnerable situation people find themselves in and I would also think uh, while Armin to his great credit you know was a an asset to his family to us um, you know uh, going back to our conversational mental health first aid, very important to remember those skills when you're dealing with people in such vulnerable situations about how you can best support them. And I think you know pharmacists do that well. Um, so it's a been a challenging story, and I, I would acknowledge Beck here who has been a fantastic advocate for Armin. Uh, and also for his development and training into the future. He tells us that he's very interested to move into the pharmaceutical industry so he's not lost to the sector, and certainly the skills and training that he's got here will be uh, used, I'm sure, and hopefully it will be changing you know, the lives of people into the future. But he's a young man who has been presented with incredible challenges and stood up to all of them, and yeah, that's the, that's been the most amazing thing.
1: The resilience that that man has shown is just... Um, it's extremely humbling to just yeah, is. see someone be able to deal with those challenges his whole life. You mm. know, like it's, this is a person who sort of has lost a childhood but is still so beautiful in the way that he conducts himself and his appreciation for, for anything people can do for him. So... Um, yeah super proud of Armin we're definitely not losing touch he is finishing Hmm. the end of at least the three years of his degree we are more than happy for him to finish four years of his degree and we will bend over backwards to make sure that that can happen if that's what he wanted but I think we've been able to map a, a, a science degree basically for him at the end of this third year which will allow him to then move into a sector in the U.S. because unfortunately having a B from UCID is is amazing um, but it's not going to allow him to be a pharmacist immediately in the US so finishing up at this year will allow him more doors to open in his new environment but we've started a GoFundMe page um, and that's because we weren't actually aware until this happened that when you get deported you actually end up with a bill for your airfares so his airfare his family's airfare that's I think the least that the pharmacy school and the pharmacy profession can do is to you know pay a little bit back and thank Armin for the lessons he's taught us in that very short amount of time and I think yeah if you want to look at the GoFundMe page you can find it on um, Twitter or Facebook um, and please share it but yeah have a look out for Armin.
3: So it sounds like you've had a lot more experience with refugees and their experiences and how to support them. So I guess, are there any other resources that you would advise for other people who are in similar situations or know people in similar situations that they should refer to?
1: Well, I think again the pharmacy community. So the Mums for Refugees, something that one of our alumni, as a pharmacist, you know, heads up. Which, you know, I wish I earlier on I'd I'd sort of linked in there and and understood. So it, we, you know, as I said, it was a very steep learning curve for us because we really didn't know. I like, was it it's untreaded. Uncharted Waters for me, I had no idea. Um, so I think if, you know, I knew somebody's refugee status and that they were vulnerable to being deported or at least, you know, or still having that difficult time with community detention, all of those extra supports, we have a fantastic student support system here at university, a student life team, we have fantastic counselling services, but you actually have to know a student is struggling uh, in order to sort of guide them towards those resources and um you know as i said Armin was an amazing student who really was flying under the radar a lot of the time because he was doing so well so we i guess i wasn't uh, personally i wasn't aware of the vulnerabilities so i think it's just about if people have got these vulnerabilities of letting people know because there is support available and we can help
0: We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the AJP podcast. If you have any thoughts, comments, or suggestions about this episode, please visit the AJP website forum at ajp.com.au and join the conversation. If you have any suggestions for future topics or would like to participate in the podcast, please follow us on Twitter at AJP podcast and send us a message.